James reminding us in that song, you are faithful. We have seen you move mountains in our lives. We've seen you answer prayer, Lord. We've seen you deliver us and rescue us. We've seen chains, addiction, whatever it may be, Lord, falling off of us, oh God, because you have been faithful. We thank you, gracious God Almighty, that as we go through, Lord, the this, this 2019, Lord, take every day and every week and every month, Lord, as we go through it, Lord, we thank you that you promise that you will never, ever leave us. You will never forsake us. When we walk through the storm, you will be with us, Lord. The waters will not overcover, um, cover us, Lord. You promise to take hold of our hand and to lead us. And so we thank you, God, that you are indeed wonderfully faithful so now Lord we come and ask that your spirit will take hold of this vessel this weak vessel Lord this cracked vessel and use it for your glory may nothing of the preacher or the signer be seen Lord or James be seen but may may, your, may you be heard and may Lord may folks hearts be changed Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've entitled this series of messages, The Marks of True Christianity. I want to spend the next five weeks in looking at what are the marks of true Christianity. You see, we live in a day um, where there's much confusion over what constitute, what really is a Christian. Some people may turn around and say, well, uh, because I've been born in a Christian country, that makes me a Christian. Others will turn around and say, well, maybe because I come to church every so often and I'm here on a Sunday morning, that makes me a Christian. Or others might turn around and say, well, because I'm born into a Christian family, because my parents are Christians, well, I must be a Christian as well. It seems to be a lot of confusion around what really constitutes, what really makes somebody a true Christian. Sometimes we see someone outside of the church and maybe they're sitting in the back of a police car or maybe they're in a pub getting drunk and we say, I thought... That person wasn't a Christian. I saw them in church. The truth is this. What passes as Christianity today is not really Christianity. What goes by as being born again believers is not really bona fide Christianity what goes along as church coming and, and worship and, and believers, what constitutes that today really is mainly and sadly counterfeit, fake, and would not stand up on the day of judgment. That's a bold statement. When you look at Christianity today and people who call themselves by that name Christian, if it gets examined and placed under a microscope, it probably will come out as fake and flawed in so many ways. So it's of the greatest importance as we start this new year to ask this question, what are the marks of a true Christian? 
And once we begin to look at that over the next five weeks, we will be able to um, understand or be able to think it through more clearly. What are the marks of a Christian? Well, I've got three headings that start, all start with E, which is helpful. But three headings that help us to examine this question um, this morning. The first um, E here is exposing. First of all, I want to expose or tell you what a Christian is not. What is um, the ideas that some people have about Christianity, that they are, are a believer. What it is not. First, I want to do that just for a few moments. A man is not a Christian simply because he does not want to go to hell. There was a time um, some years ago when preachers used to preach about hell and the agony and the torment that hell will bring. And these men were doing a faithful job. They were preaching like Jesus preached. I remember a guy um, called Jonathan Edwards was preaching a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he was preaching about hell. And as he was preaching about hell about two or three hundred years ago, he was standing there and he was describing this, this, this man on a, on a mountain on a cliff. And this man was blind. And as this man was, was blind, he, he had a, a, you know, a, a walking stick, a white cane stick, and he was feeling his way and he was getting closer and closer to the edge of this cliff. And there's a huge storm as this man was walking nearer and nearer. And the wind blew and, and his cane flew out of his hand. And he continued walking closer and closer to the edge. He was right at the edge of the cliff and was just about to take his step. And as the preacher was describing this, as the preacher was telling this, one man in the audience cried out, He's gone! He's gone! He's lost! So powerful was this man's preaching. In fact, he was reading it. He wasn't actually preaching it. He was reading it at the time. So powerful was his preaching. And he was speaking about hell. But really, if a man says, I'm frightened of hell. I don't want to be in hell. I don't want to go to hell. I've heard these preachers. I've heard about it in the Bible. I don't want to go there. Does not make a person a Christian simply because he does not want to go to hell. That's the first thing. Or take another man. He's been looking into these things, these religions. He's been going through Hinduism and Buddhism and, and, and he's looking at different thoughts. And, and he, he come along Christianity and he looked into Christianity and he says, Ah, I like the morals of Christianity. I myself am a very moral man. I like the idea of, of marriage and family. I like the idea of, of, of obeying the law. I'm not a lawbreaker. I like keeping things intact. In I like Christianity. And because I'm a moral man, I think I will choose Christianity. And therefore, he's also in church. And so you've got two men from two extremes. One man doesn't want to go to hell and he finds himself in the church. Another man is so good, his morals are so wonderful, a, a wonderful example of, of citizenship 
He too finds himself in church. And yet, both men are not truly Christian. I can remember um, back in the day walking through Wolfenstone Market. As you walk through Wolfenstone Market, you know, I, I saw um, this Adidas tracksuit for sale. And when I looked at it, it, it had all the right colors. It had the three stripes going down on the side and the three stripes going down on the legs. And it had the logo on it, you know. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, wow, how much is this tracksuit? The guy was selling it for half the price. Over in Sports Direct, it's going for 60 quid. But this guy was selling for 30. So for 30 pounds, I'd take two of these tracksuits. One wash. One wash. Suddenly the logo started peeling off. The stripe went missing on one arm. Before you know it, I was walking around with three stripes and two stripes. The whole thing was a fake. It was a counterfeit. But that is what some Christian lives are like. They may be sincere. They may find themselves in church. But they come in in the back door. They came in in the wrong way. And they're in church. And they're comfortable now. They've learned to speak the language of Christians. They've learned to say praise the Lord and hallelujah at the right time. They've learned to drink tea and coffee and comment on certain things. They've learned the language. But they came into the church in the wrong way. And so there's five marks of what really constitutes a Christian. And we only have time to deal with one of them this morning. And the first mark that really constitutes, that really causes a person to be a true Christian, the first one is this. Repentance. I'll say it again. Repentance. Now, we're going to look at this very briefly this morning. My second heading now, first of all, exposing what it's not. The second thing is experience. Now, before repentance comes in, there must be a deep remorse. There must be a deep agony over the way you used to live. Before repentance kicks in, there must be a remorse. This was true of every single person in the Bible, every person who had an encounter with God Almighty was soon confronted with their own wickedness. Let's look at a few examples um, this morning. Here's, here's an example of a guy in, in Isaiah, actually, in his book, when he had a confrontation with God. Look what he says. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Here's a man, he sees God, he has an encounter with God. And the first thing he recognized is how wicked and how sinful he is. Woe to me, he cries. I am ruined. Or well, in the New Testament. How about this guy, Peter? What was his experience? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knee and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Lord, 
You're too close. Look at my sin. I'm so wicked. I'm so filthy. I'm so ungodly. Lord, go away from me, he said. I'm a man full of sin. That is the remorse kicking in. He's beginning to see that Isaiah saw, woe to me, I am ruined. And here's a New Testament man. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinful man. How about Paul? What was his experience? He was thrown to the ground, wasn't he? A man full of himself. Well, let's hear his own testimony. We hear it in the scriptures. As he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Thrown to the ground. Was he tied up? Was he full of himself? I will go to Damascus. I will get those Christians. I will, I will, I will. And then Lord met him on that road and froze him to the ground. An awareness of your sin, an awareness of your corruption, an awareness of your filthiness, an awareness of your sin. That is what was going on in these men. There was an awareness of remorse and of guilt and of sin. I preached a sermon a couple of times some years ago over in Bristol in a church up there, and um, Bristol used to be a very strong mining community. About two, three hundred years ago, you know, there was a huge mining. The whole families were involved in, in, in going into those mines and getting the coal from underneath the earth and bringing them up into the surface. Women and children and, and men were all involved in that over in Bristol. There was no schools provided for the children. No hospitals over that time. There was no um, education. They, all the family, as soon as they got old enough, went down to the mines. And that's where they worked. But there was a particular man called George Whitfield. And George Whitfield used to preach in churches. But he got so uncomfortable with doing it, he wanted to outside the church. He wanted to preach to the miners. So he left the church and he went out into the mines. And, and, and the fields, and they began to preach. And the people came out from the mine to hear him. Their hands were black with coal and soot. Their faces were black with the same thing. And they came out of the coal, to, um, the coal mines to hear this man speak. And as he began to preach, this is what he said. He said, as I began to preach, I've noticed that the people were being affected and the way that I've noticed that they were being affected was that I saw white gutter marks falling down their black cheeks. They were weeping. And I knew that they were being affected. In fact, a historian writes this when he was writing about that time. He wrote this about George Whitfield. He said, Mr. Whitfield's sermons were attended with much power. Several cried out, and great weeping being observable throughout the service. And the question must be asked, why were they weeping? Don't they know that we're British? British people know about stiff upper lip. 
we know about being stoic. We don't weep. Let's leave that to the Italians. Leave that to the Brazilians. Leave that to the wild West Indians. But we British, we don't weep. I remember when I first came to this church nearly 19 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, I first came to this church like preaching, and, and somebody says, why is, he, why is he so passionate in the pulpit? And, and why does he sweat sometimes when he preaches? Well, says somebody, he's not British, is he? That's why. <laughs> if he was British, that would not happen. It's a true story. Well, rubbish. Not about being British or not about being Brazilian or Italian. Why were these people weeping? That's the question. They were weeping not because they were afraid to go to hell. That was not the reason why they were weeping. They were weeping not because their good works that they were doing is not counted anymore. And so they were weeping because their good works are not good enough. They weren't weeping for that. Why was they weeping? Well, let George Whitfield tell you. He was writing in his journal, and this is what he said about this experience. Monday, I preached up to 20,000 people. Can you believe that? That's 300 years ago. There's no microphones. And he was heard. 20,000 people. You might have seen thousands bathed in tears, weeping over a pierced Savior. That's it. They were weeping because of what their sins had done to Jesus Christ. That's why they were weeping. They were weeping because they realized that the Jesus was nailed to the cross because of their sin. It was my sin that put Jesus on that cross. It was my sin that caused a righteous man to die. It was my sin that caused him to be crucified. I am the one that placed Jesus on the cross. The one that Paul said, wretched man am I. The one that Peter said, away from me, Lord. I am full of sin because it was my sin that nailed Jesus to that cross. That's why they were weeping. They came into the experience of realizing that they were among the crowd that saying, crucify him, crucify him, away with him. We do not want that man to rule over us. They were the ones, you and me are the ones who joined the crowd at the cross and cried out with one voice, Get rid of this man. Every time we reject Jesus, we're saying, I don't want him to rule over my life. Because we don't want to have this Jesus. Therefore, there's no remorse. There's no sorrow for what sin has done. Yes, sin has hurt other people but ultimately sin is against God and we have dishonored and disgraced and spat in the face of God when we sin and now why why is there no concern nowadays about sin well many reasons one reason is this in our society sin has become normalized theft 
It's not theft if you download it on your computer. Adultery is not adultery if two adults are consenting. Pornography is now laughed at and used as a joke. Lying is only a half-truth. The other half is true. Sin in our society, sadly, has become normalized. It's become weakened. It's become something that we can excuse and pass over. Maybe we can give a medical term for some of our sin. Maybe we can try to um, uh, make it a little bit more, you know, a more palatable. Call it sleeping with someone else instead of calling it fornication, adultery. Instead of calling it for what it really is. Maybe we can make it a nicer sounding sin. Embezzlement to the theft. Maybe we can try to change it up a little bit and make ourselves feel a bit more better when we think about sin. But I want to tell you this morning, God hasn't changed in regards to sin. Sin is still sin in God's eyes. No matter how much men in our society try to wore it down, sin is still what it is. And God has said, I'm not happy with sin. Now, it's that we don't see today. We don't see weeping. We don't see people coming into the kingdom. They come into the kingdom with dry eyes. Not a hint of remorse. It's like, I become a Christian because I want to get free of my addiction. That's why I become a Christian. I become a Christian because I want my wife back. She doesn't like me as I am, so I become a Christian. And maybe I, she will see me change a little bit and I, I get my wife back. Or maybe if I become a Christian, you know, I might get a new job. And so they come to Christ, they come into God's kingdom without thinking about the remorse, the sin, the wickedness, the filth, the ugliness of their own lives. And seeing that, weeping and saying, oh God, look at my life. I am so evil, I am so wicked, I am so sinful, I am so full of myself. Will you please forgive me? That is not the prayer any longer. No, 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 no. I remember praying with a man right here on our knees. Me and Jimmy Tibbs. Both of us weeping and crying before God. That is... How a man enters into the kingdom of God. Repentance. Remorse. Being concerned that what you have done in the past, God is going to bring it to account. Being concerned that how you have lived in the past, you have to give an answer to it. Being concerned that these things are not the hot under the carpet. These things are real and they're ugly and they're in the face of God. And that comes to you in such a way that brings you into a place of regret and remorse. Maybe the tears might not flow, but there's a regret of your heart that these things are part of your life. Well then, Let's go to the third E and wrap this message up because experience is very important in this, the remorse. But even though you may have the remorse, you have not yet repented. The remorse is there. The regret is there. Maybe the tears flow. 
Maybe you can remember that when you first became a Christian, that was a part of your, your experience. That was a part of your, your walk. There was a sadness about how you used to live. And that was a part of your life. That, that, that is, but you haven't repented yet, even though you have that remorse. It's another step. Well, step moving into repentance. So here's experience and finally examining. This is what I'm going to close with, examining. You know, when Jesus came, he preached a very simple message. It wasn't very complicated. His message was this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was his message. Repent. What did he mean, repent? Well, very simply, he meant a change of the way you think. A change. You see, Jesus never spoke to people's emotions. He never had a violinist at the background when he began to preach. Didn't have, you know, someone on a guitar, you know, plucking up a tune, and then he began to, to speak to He never addressed the emotions. When Jesus preached, he always addressed the mind. That is what he was concerned about. It's, it's your reason, your thinking. That is how he always addressed men and women when he preached. Do you remember that time when they tried to trick him and, and they said, oh, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus took a coin and he addressed their thinking. Not their emotions. Paul was the same way. Paul, uh, when he went to preach in different areas, he went into different places. Paul did not have a musician with him. He did not have some kind of, you know, acrobats and some kind of, you know, uh, gimmicks. He addressed the mind. Look at him when he, he went to, um, I think it was Thessalonica. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three separate days... He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Look at what he says. He says that he reasoned with them. Oh, I've heard people come up to me and say, ah, oh, it's Christianity Blind faith, that's what they want. That's what they are. You go to church, leave your thinking caps at home and go to church. It's, it's blind faith, they say. Christianity is not about your intellect, not about your thinking. It's, it, it's, it's for fools. When they go to church, they come in, they leave their intelligence at the door and they come in and they listen to a man for half an hour and then they go out and they, then they pick up their, their thinking again. But these same people don't want never say the same thing when they're sitting down watching Big Brother. Sitting down watching the X Factor. That's more damaging to your thinking, in my opinion. And yet when you come into the house of God, it's your thinking that needs to be addressed. It's your intellect that needs to be awakened. And the reason why it's because we live in a society that tells us how to think. We live in a society that tells you what to think, how to think, when to think, 
what to buy, what not to buy. We live in a society that's constantly telling us what to think. In fact, the Bible goes a step further. I wouldn't say the society. The Bible goes a step further. Look what the Bible says. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, Satan himself, what has he done? Has he blinded their hearts? Has he given men hard hearts? Has he blinded their wills and made their wills stubborn? No, no, no. The Bible does not say that about the heart or about the will. The Bible says that Satan has blinded the mind. You need to understand this morning, it's your intellect, your mind, that Jesus affects, that Jesus speaks to, not your emotions, not the goosebumps or the nice feelings that you might have in church. It's your thinking that's so important. And so when Jesus turned around and says, these simple words, repent. What he is saying is change your thinking. Because if you change your thinking, you will change your actions. Let me give you three illustrations just to close this out. First one is this. You're going to buy a car. You've seen it around the corner, it's got a great price. You think to yourself, I'm going to get this car, I'm going to buy this, this vehicle. And so you put a deposit of £100 down, you go to the bank, you draw out the next 5000 grand, whatever it's going to cost, you draw it all out. And as you was going to the, to, to, to the car dealer, you see a paper, and on the paper it says, the car dealer you're going to buy from has been arrested for fraud. In fact... All of his cars were ringers. What are you going to do? You've got new information now. Your thoughts have been challenged. What are you going to do? Are you going to go back to the car dealer, lay your five grand down? No. You're going to walk away and buy a car from somewhere else. Or how about the banks? You remember when the banks was crashing? I know it's RBS or some other bank. People were queuing up. Round corners. Because prior to that, they were putting the money into the banks and say, that bank is safe as houses. I get a good interest rate there, and, and it's a great bank. But when the bank started crashing, people were queuing around the block in order to get the money out of the bank. Because they knew some new information came into their mind. Their minds had been challenged. Now, I know some of you, you know, like a good old greasy kebab. I personally don't. But when you walk down the street and you go past one of these shops, you see a, this kebab on the spit there going round. You think to yourself, how long has that kebab been sitting there? Especially when it's gone down to the bone and they're still cutting this kebab. You've got to be mad to go into that shop and order one of those kebabs. Because you know that it's been there for two weeks. But normally, the only people who buy them are men who are drunk at 12 o'clock at night. And they're so drunk that their thinking has become impaired. And they go into the kebab shop and have the largest kebab they can have. The first mark of being a Christian, my dear friend, is repentance. Change your thinking. Has the reality 
And this, with this statement, so I just close. Has the reality of your sin so affected you? That you used to be like that. You've been involved in all different kind of things. Maybe you haven't been so dark. Maybe you haven't been in prison or, or done wicked things. Maybe you've just been a nice housewife, a nice person who supported others, and yet you knew that you've rejected Jesus Christ. You knew that He's been out of your life. You've been working in your own strength. You know these things. And you look back and you see that that's not good. And not only do you regret what you've done? Not only do you have remorse for the past, but also sometimes tears might flow because you're filth of your old life. Has your thinking changed? Once the Bible was boring, but now, it's bread and milk. Once you should enjoy being down Lakeside, but now leave Lakeside one other day. I'm coming to the house of God. Once you hated being around Christians, they all look a bit funny to you, dressed a little bit strangely, but now you want to hug a Christian. Now you want to be around a believer because they are more real than the friends you have outside. Once you thought sin was lovely, but now you're beginning to hate it. You begin to say, I don't like what I used to like. I don't enjoy the things that I used to enjoy. I don't want to hang out in the places where I used to hang out. No, no, no. God has come in. I have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and my thinking has changed. That is the first mark. Of a true Christian. Do you have that mark? Is that you? Are you saying yeah I identify with you? If so. Then my dear friends. You are on the right road. Of walking with Christ. And I want to encourage you. The next four. Will bring you closer. And give you greater understanding. To where you're going. But I need just to say one other thing. To those who are not on that road yet. Do not come to Christ to get your fix. Do not come to Christ to get yourself sorted out in life. No, no, no. He does not do that without first confronting you with your sin and causing you to say, what a wretched man. Woe is me. I can't believe that I used to do these things. I can't believe that I used to act this way. In fact, I'm sitting here right now and I'm about to go out in the next week and I'm going to do the same thing I've always done before and now I'm realizing that I cannot live that way any longer. My dear friends, if that's you, then the Spirit of God is at work in your heart this morning. Stirring up remorse. Stirring up regret. And when you think about the people you've hurt, when you think about the people you've wounded, when you think about the, 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 the things you've done wrong, and ultimately, when you realize it's all against him, maybe the tears will begin to well up in your eyes. Your heart will begin to get heavy. And you begin to weep. My dear friends, do not belittle that moment. 
For that moment is when someone is born into the kingdom of God. Let's hope as we go through this year, there won't be people here who are wearing fake Adidas tracksuits. What were people here coming in with a fake Christianity? But there were people here who say, I'm on the road. And I've started in the right way. I'm not slipping in the back door. I'm not coming under the carpet. I'm not coming in under the, 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 the skirt of somebody else. No, no, no. I'm coming in the way the Lord wants me to come in. With a broken heart. A contrite spirit. For I know, Lord, you will not despise a woman like that. You will not despise a man who comes to me like that. May that be you and may that be me. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, God Almighty, we are so sorry, Lord, that in our nation, churches are filled. There's people in different churches, Lord God Almighty, in this hour, and yet, Lord God, the question is, has there been real worship? Has there been the company of people who are truly born again, truly Christian? And yet, Lord, everybody throws that word around, Lord. And yet, Father, your word is very clear. That in order for us to be born again, in order for us to be truly Christian, then we must have that first mark of repentance in our lives. And we don't have it, Lord. But whatever else we have does not count. However weeks or months or years we have in the church, how many communion, communion services we, we've taken, the bread and wine and the, and the worship, however many times does not count. If we do not have that repentance in our hearts, oh God. And my prayer is, Lord, but once again, you will pour out your spirit. For man cannot produce repentance. Preachers cannot produce repentance. It only comes by your spirit. Working powerfully. Working mightily. In the hearts and the lives of men and women. Oh God almighty. Do this for us today. And bring a real sense. Of remorse. Regret and repentance into your house. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.